Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast. We're working our way through the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and uncovering some of the major themes that set the stage for God's work through humanity's history. Today, we will be reading through Genesis chapter 16 and looking once again at three major themes. Let's do a quick review. The first theme is centered on the promised seed. If you remember, back in Genesis 3 verse 15, God promised a son would come from Abram's seed, and that son would reverse the curse. He would crush the head of the serpent, even though the serpent would bruise his heel. And that's metaphorical language for the struggle between good and evil, which comes to a head when Jesus Christ was crucified, but then rose from the dead. We can look backwards and see that Jesus is the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. But the people who first experienced the stories in Genesis and the generations that listened to these stories or read them, they didn't know that Jesus was the seed. They were constantly on the lookout wondering if the seed was among them or not. Now, the second theme I've been highlighting is the theme of God's character. Reading the Bible can teach us so much about who God is if we're willing to look closely and confidently that the God of the Bible is the very same God we serve today. And finally, there is a reoccurring theme of human behavior. We're definitely going to spend some time on that theme today. Humans in the Bible aren't all that different from humans today. Yes, there are some cultural things that might seem very foreign or outdated, but humans still yearn for love and acceptance and value and meaning. Humans still make mistakes. Humans can still be surprising in their capacity to have faith, to be generous, and to do the right thing in the face of temptation. So now that we've reviewed our major themes, let's talk about the text before us. In our last episode, we read all about the covenant between God and Abram. It was a bloody mess of dead carcasses and scary nighttime visions. And through this chapter, we learned that God is always faithful and he's willing to partner with us, requiring only our faith. And we also learned that humans can demonstrate amazing faith even when it seems impossible. Today, humans aren't going to look so great after we read this text. So without further ado, let's take a look at Genesis 16. These are verses 1 through 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not given birth to any children, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Since the Lord has prevented me from having children, please sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a family by her. Abram did what Sarai told him. So after Abram had lived in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, Abram's wife, gave Hagar, her Egyptian servant, to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, 
and she became pregnant. Once Hagar realized she was pregnant, she despised Sarai. And then Sarai said to Abram, You've brought this wrong on me. I gave my servant into your embrace. But when she realized that she was pregnant, she despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. All right, then. Chapter 6 begins with the central problem of this narrative. Abram and Sarah are childless. Abram had mentioned this to God in chapter 15 when he offered the suggestion that Eleazar of Damascus might be his heir since he had no heir. But now we're introduced to Sarai's slave, Hagar, and notice it's her Egyptian slave. Now, I'm choosing to use the word slave today. Some versions, including the one I read, may say that Hagar was a servant. I'm choosing slave because I want us to remember that Hagar was owned by Sarah. She wasn't hired. She wasn't free to leave. Hagar was probably part of what Abram acquired when he went to Egypt and came out richer than when he went in. Sarah makes the suggestion to Abram that probably sounds absolutely ludicrous to your ears. She suggests Abram make an heir with Hagar. Now, I cannot imagine suggesting that my husband father a child with another woman. In our culture and worldview, that would be absolutely unacceptable. But in ancient times and in this early culture, this was actually a widely accepted practice. Having children was critical to social standing and to how people viewed success. If you couldn't achieve that on your own, then going outside the marriage bounds by using a slave or a concubine was completely normal. But just because something is socially acceptable doesn't mean it's approved by God. Let that sink in. Our cultural norms, what our society accepts as normal or appropriate, isn't necessarily ordained, blessed, or approved by God. And how many times have we thought about using what might be acceptable to others to achieve God's purposes on our own? Because that is exactly what's going on here. Abram and Sarai know God has promised them an heir. God has said it at least four times to Abram. He called him in Ur and promised him land and that a great nation would come from him. He appeared to Abram at Morah and confirmed it. In chapter 13, he showed Abram the land he would inherit after the separation from Lot. And again, he references the offspring Abram would have. And then... We just studied chapter 15, where God made a very specific covenant with Abram about the land and the offspring. But we read in verse 2 these words. So Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from having children. I have to pause and chuckle. Notice the spin Sarah has on this problem. God made us a promise. He made it abundantly clear we'll have offspring but he's the one preventing me from fulfilling his promise. Now, this was very much a cultural belief. God, or the gods the culture worshipped, were believed to be in total control of whether children were conceived or not. I wish so much Abram would have had the courage to say to her, Sarai, what God promises to do, he will do. Let's wait. But instead, she offers for him to sleep with Hagar, and he does it. Instead of surrendering to God and fully believing he could do what seemed impossible to them, Sarah came up with her own solution. And it seemed so reasonable. Everyone else was doing it. 
Let's help God out, right? Let's put a plan in motion. But this isn't God's plan. In fact, way back in Genesis 2, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife, and they become one family. God's plan is a man and a woman creating a family together. But Sarai couldn't see past her circumstances. And we find out here in verse 3 of chapter 16 that it's actually been 10 years that Abram's lived in Canaan. He and Sarai have been waiting on his promise a long time. So we can cut Sarai a little slack because after all, she is human. Now, let's pause here and note a very obvious parallel in the structure of writing. Verse 3 said, Sarai, Abram's wife, gave Hagar, her Egyptian servant, to her husband to be his wife. Abram did what Sarai told him. Let me flip back to Genesis 3 and read a similar verse. She took some of his fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. See the connection? This kind of thing makes me stop and do some serious inventory. I'm a wife of a husband. Do I ever get him to go along with a scheme of mine that might not actually be what God would have us do? I'd like to hope I don't do this very often, if even at all. But fellow wives, we have a lot of influence over our husbands. We have to guard against the temptation to take matters into our own hands and convince our husbands to follow along with some idea we have, especially if it contradicts God's word or circumvents his ways. So Hagar gets pregnant, and look at the dynamic change between her and Sarai. The version I read said Hagar despised Sarai. Another version says Sarai was contemptible to her. Hagar gets pregnant by Abram and is now looking down her nose at Sarai. And you can imagine a bit of haughty arrogance was getting in the way of the master-servant relationship here. Two women involved with the same man, the lesser status woman gets the results, and the chosen wife does not. Yes, we are in for a catfight, ladies and gentlemen. This is not going to end well. What does Sarai do? Oh, sure, she takes responsibility and makes things right with Hagar and Abram and God, right? No. And again, Sarah is human, so we won't be too harsh in our analysis of her here. No, she doesn't do any of that. She goes, actually, and complains to Abram and says, You have brought this wrong on me. I gave my servant into your embrace, but when she realized that she was pregnant, she despised me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Wait, what? How did she twist this to be Abram's fault? She convinces her husband to sleep with a woman, to have a child, and when it works, Sarah gets made fun of, and now she's mad about it. So how does Abram respond? Well, let's take a look. Abram said to Sarai, Since your servant is under your authority, do to her whatever you think best. Then Sarai treated Hagar harshly. So she ran away from Sarai. What a mess. Sarai had a problem. She had no son, and yet God had promised one. So she found her own solution using a culturally appropriate activity, and her problem went from bad to worse. Not only did she lose her slave, but the slave was pregnant, which was the whole goal of the scheme in the first place. She drove away her own solution to her original problem. 
And Abram's not exactly exhibiting strong characteristics in all of this. He goes along with a bad plan from his wife, and then he doesn't get involved when things get out of control. Now, if I'm having a difficult time with a relationship, I don't exactly expect my husband to get in the middle of it and fix it. And I know there's some cultural differences between my marriage and the marriage between Abram and Sarai. But I do get support, advice, and encouragement from him. And Abram could have provided the same for Sarai. Instead, Abram tells Sarai, do whatever she wants. He wants no responsibility in managing this situation. And yet he's, dare I say, intimately involved in this conflict? So Hagar and the closest thing to the promised heir take off and run away. Let's pick up and see what happens in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring that is along the road to Shur. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. I will greatly multiply your descendants. The angel of the Lord added, so that they will be too numerous to count. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant. You are about to give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your painful groans. He will be a wild donkey of a man. He will be hostile to everyone, and everyone will be hostile to him. He will live away from his brothers. Ooh, there is a lot going on in these verses, so let's peel back what we can. First, the setting. Hagar's in the wilderness, and she's found a spring. Let's remember, Hagar is Egyptian, and her home and her family and her friends are back in Egypt. She was either given or sold to Abram as a slave and is basically Sarai's maidservant. But she can't take the abuse, so she takes off. But remember, she's pregnant, and this is not the 21st century. She's walking home to Egypt through the wilderness. So she stops at a spring because she's probably struggling to survive on this journey. And the angel of the Lord meets her there. This is the first time that the phrase, the angel of the Lord, is mentioned. Did you catch that he addressed her by name and that he knew she was Sarai's slave? I'll read it again. Verse 8 says, he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Now, the angel of the Lord is probably God himself, perhaps Christ incarnate. But she likely doesn't realize this at first. She does give an honest answer. And then she's given some strong instructions. She's to return to Sarai and to submit to her authority. But there is hope. Hagar will give birth to a son and will have descendants too numerous to count. She's told to name him Ishmael and forewarn that he will be wild and independent, not getting along with anyone. In fact, he's called a donkey, a wild one. And some versions use a different name for donkey that also is appropriate. So let's pause here and try to put ourselves in Hagar's shoes. Imagine that you're a slave owned by another human. And honestly, for some today, this isn't a far stretch. 
Would you run away because of the messy situation you're in and decide to try to make it back home? And again, can I say, this may be a reality for people in our culture. But you're pregnant with your maiden's husband's child. So you know you're headed into a life of single motherhood and a society where women are 100% dependent on marriages and support of their husband. Out of desperation, you stop at a spring in the wilderness and the person you meet there knows your name and after a brief exchange, tells you to go back. Submit. But you will have a son and a long line of many grandchildren. So what do you do? Is it worth it to return? Would it be better to just ignore the stranger? Just head for the hills? Hagar at some point realizes this isn't just a stranger or someone Abram sent to track her down. She's been in Abram's household and undoubtedly heard talk about God, about the journey Abram's on, about the promise. And here she sits in her lowest, most vulnerable moment, and it clicks. Starting in verse 13, the Bible says, So Hagar named the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, Here, I have seen one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer the High Roy. It is located between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, whom Abram named Ishmael. Now Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. In those few verses, we get the accelerated recap of the story. Hagar realizes it's the Lord who is speaking to her. She names the Lord the God who sees me, and we infer that she follows the directions, returns to Abram, and has her son Ishmael. But let's not miss this. Hagar names God based on his character. The God who sees me. No doubt Hagar felt desperate, lonely, scared, and probably had very little self-worth. Here she was in the desert at a spring, trying to make it back home as a pregnant runaway slave. And God shows up. He saw her, and he met her right where she was. Now, I'm sure she wasn't excited about the command to return and submit to Sarai. But God also promised blessing to her through her descendants. Her son was going to be challenging. Some might call him a donkey. But the Lord had heard her painful groans. Notice, he doesn't promise to make it all better. A smooth and easy path for her and give her a life of luxury and ease. No. But he saw her, and he cared enough to personally reach out to steer her back on the right track. My friend, God sees you. Are you lost in your own wilderness? Have you uttered some painful groans? Do you feel forgotten or lost or mistreated? He sees you. The same God who saw Hagar sees you, and he sees me. He isn't necessarily going to give you the perfect life with no conflict. He may call you to hard things, to walk a path that isn't fun or convenient, to obey him in the face of social persecution. I hope that when Hagar returned to Sarai, they were able to reconcile and work things out. We will see later on, about 13 years from this point, Hagar and Sarai have another major conflict. 
but I want to hope that in the in-between time they lived in relative peace. I do believe that God never ever calls us to live in an abusive relationship or calls us to allow physical, mental, or spiritual harm or abuse. The Bible doesn't tell us how Hagar was received, but we do know that Hagar returns and gives birth. She follows God's directions and Abram names their son Ishmael, which literally means God will hear. We also learn at this point that Abram's 86 years old. The first verse of the next chapter tells us that Abram is 99. So we're going to encounter this 13-year gap in the Abram narrative. I don't want to get too ahead of things, but it'll be obvious that Abram will wrestle with the idea of Ishmael being the promised son. But God has other plans, and we'll get to that another time for now. Let's think about this chapter and summarize our themes. First, we still do not have the Genesis 3.15 promised seed. There is a son about to be born, but it's the result of an ill-conceived plan that wreaked family drama havoc. Second, we saw a side of God's character in his encounter with Hagar. He sees us. He hears our groans. He meets us where we are. He might call us to do hard things, but he doesn't leave us to wander and die in the wilderness. And finally, we saw some pretty typical human behavior. A wife with a bad idea she gets her husband to follow, a catfight between two jealous women competing for the same man, a man who chose not to help guide the situation and make things better, and a woman who ran away from her problems. You see, the Bible has it all. It's got drama, intrigue, surprise, plot twists, and best of all, a God who sees us. I don't know how seen you feel today, but as we wrap up, say these words out loud with me if you can. God sees me. God sees me. God sees me. God sees you, my friend. Don't forget it. He won't ever forget you. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.